Hello, everyone, and welcome to Beyond the Surface. My name is Brian Levinson. I created this podcast because I'm very interested in talking to interesting people who are performers. They're everything from CEOs to coaches to athletes to musicians to actors. Anyone who considers himself to be a performer and is an expert at their craft. So what we will do is ask questions to dive deep and dig deep into their mindset, into their journey, into their story, what makes them unique, what makes them special, so that hopefully it can help you as you continue on your journey for development and as you go beyond the surface with yourself as well. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Surface. Today, we go beyond the surface with Tim Gentry. Tim is the president of a company called CommuniClick. Uh, CommuniClick brings applications. Uh, they bring text message and voice message and connect applications with customers. Uh, so they do a lot of stuff with startups and with companies uh, to connect them when they need to use text message and voice message. Previously, Tim was the CEO of a company called Avaya Asia South Pacific. And that's where Tim actually spent some time in Sydney, Australia. So we're going to find out a little bit about how uh, Tim's experience was in Australia. Uh, they're a TPG company. Um, so we're going to get a sense of what that was like working for a big company like that as well. Uh, Tim also played football in college where he was a linebacker and a safety. So we're going to get a little bit insight into his mentality as a linebacker and a safety, a defensive player. Uh, Tim then went on and got his MBA from American University and also studied at Harvard Business School where he took a, a class or a course in uh, leadership and management. Uh, lastly, Tim is now an adjunct professor at Georgetown University. Tim, first, I just want to find out a little bit about your background, your story, your journey. So tell us about your upbringing. I know you moved around a lot, but share a little bit with us how you sort of were raised and, and where that entrepreneurial spirit may have came from. Yeah, so um, uh, I guess about every two years, I always have the itch to uh, do something new and exciting. Uh, and the reason was so my father was, was in the Navy, okay. right? And so every two years, we kind of move. And it... And I'll say this too, anyone that's what we call them a military brat, you either have a unique uh, characteristic of things really just, uh, just kind of like you're never exactly right with things, or you're just going to be really flexible. Because where most people's lives, like I always imagine uh, when I talk to my friends, they move right after their kids graduate, like that class year or things like this. Well, when we were in the military at that time, they would just pick you up and then drop you in to the school year, like to like fourth week of school, new school, new state, everything. So you kind of had to learn the dynamics of the of the class, who the who the bully was, who the who the uh, who your friends are going to be, and uh, the characteristics of all. Oh, they already had these connections, and you're just trying to figure it out. I'm smiling because I grew up in the same house my entire life. You know, went to elementary school, then went to middle school. It was, it was such a process, and you're right. It was like, all right, fifth grade, you're graduating. Yeah. All right, are you ready for middle school? Here comes middle school. Oh, it's sixth grade. Oh, wait, there's big eighth graders now. And then it's like you go sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Now you're eighth grade. All right, high school's coming. It was so linear. Yeah. Um, and in a way, it was safe. It was right. secure. It was uh, you sort of could plan and then execute that from a mental standpoint. But you just said that adaptability, that adjustability, that ability to provide it make new friends and connect with people was the complete opposite. Can you talk about how that helps you now in the business world? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it helps me a lot of ways because, uh, one, you get a great sense of people. Like, you know, we, you know I, I'm a big believer that your neuropathways are built on experiences in your life. So, like, a lot of times I, I have a really good feel for people, I think, mm -hmm. right? And I understand, like, when I walk into something, if, if 
things are hostile or things aren't right? How, how do we manage through this situation? You know, or, or is it just miscommunication? Sometimes there's massive miscommunication where, where someone just for some reason thinks that you're in the you have a power position or you're trying to push down on them. Really, you just want to make it work. So you have to really connect with that other person and say, Hey, I know you're upset. I know there's something happening here, but you know what? I want to make this a win-win for both sides. And a lot of that, I think that comes from my youth, is like being flexible where you know, my team will bring me into a room or I don't mind not know all the dynamics, and all of a sudden, oh, I have to recognize these, pull them together, and then find the best outcome for the group as a whole. You're talking about empathy, right? Understanding yeah. someone walking in their shoes. I was with an athlete yesterday who's a captain of his team, and we were talking about how can he have empathy for the coaches while also having empathy for the athletes. Uh, and a captain of a team stands in an interesting spot. Um, this was a soccer team because he has to sort of be that bridge between management, coaches, and the rest of the team and sometimes be a voice and sometimes speak up, not for himself, but for the people in the locker room. Yep. Um, so I think empathy is such an underrated trait to have and that's sort of what you're talking about. I'm curious because you did grow up in a military family and I would imagine spent time on military bases surrounded mm -hmm. by people uh, who had a military uh, background. Can you talk about that influence and that effect um, and how that might have impacted you? Yeah, so I, I would say um, uh, my father wasn't like a hardcore military. Like I have some friends that their, their family members were like Marines and like, like generals, things like this, and they, they have a very different perspective than me. I, th I think my father was, he was a technologist hmm. in the Navy, right? Cryptologist. And it, it, it gave me a very rounded opinion. It makes me value what I have. I'll tell you this. So when I when I grew up, like uh, military housing was the least cost built housing you can imagine. Right. You get to learn everything about your neighbors, and if you're in any unit, you just, that meant you only had to learn about one of your neighbors. If you're in the middle of the unit, that means you had, you get to learn everything about both sides of the family. I mean, you would hear a conversation happening. Wow. So, uh, so you know, when I look now in my life, I, I'm very, I feel very rewarded. I feel very blessed. All the different things I have. Um, and at the same time, too, when you live in a military family at that time, you know, uh, you know, there was everyone worked. With, everyone went to the PX. Yeah. So you know, if you bought your new shirt that you were really proud of, uh, when you went to school that that week, everyone was wearing that same shirt. Sure. Everyone was wearing that same shirt. So uh, you know, I, I feel very blessed, like now in life, that to have that experience because it it, um, it it taught me a lot about like the like what I have now, the value. I think a lot of people don't recognize the value of what they have. They can't. They just don't appreciate it. So, I, like, I value like the um, all the different things I get in my life. I value the opportunities I get. I value not being able to hear my neighbors with yeah. <laughs> screaming. But like, I think at the same time, like in that military background thing, there's that's sort of the negative side. The positive side too was, you know, you you did learn a little more about organization. Like, you know, we, there was a a feeling of like I noticed, uh, you know. The military really trains people in organization. Um, I think that's one thing that my parents kind of gave to me, the organization. Um, mobility up, like thinking about education, the importance of education, the importance, the value of not just um, education itself, but what's the trade you're going to go into. My, my father was always just about like, that's great, you're learning that, how are you going to use that? Sure. So I don't know if that was the military or him, but he was, he was very focused on that type of side of things. And um, at the same time, too, I think, you know, going back to, like, traveling and moving around, I think, you know, that's one of the things that I think is a blessing for me because it just gives me this, you know, I had to work really, really hard when I came into these schools to, like, 
Like, find who your friends are going to be. Find the people that you're going to connect with. And, you know, when I moved different jobs, because the last 10 years, I've pretty much changed jobs within two to three years, periods, I had to work really hard and spend time, like, who, who are the people that are going to impact me? Who are the people that I can impact in this job? And I think a lot of people don't get that opportunity. They have a job for a long period of time. I was just with an executive the other day, and we were talking about his last experience. He'd been there for like 15 years. He's at this new job. He's having a lot of hard time. He's having a lot of hard problems adjusting. And he's a hyper-successful executive because he hasn't had the opportunity of changing jobs so many times. Sure. And when you're a military kid, you're constantly changing, right. and you're constantly becoming adaptable. There's so many things there. There's being comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? Feeling the anxiety of going to a new school, not knowing how you're going to fit in. There's the adaptability, which you've hit on. Then you talked about really work ethic, right? Like, hey, you got to work hard. You got to mm -hmm. find a way. Um, I heard practicality, like functionality. Like you need to study something, not just to study it, but how are you going to apply this? How are you going to use it? So it sounds like there's a lot of interesting things from your youth. The one other thing that I just wanted to bring up, and then we'll move on to sort of college and that experience for you as an athlete, um, is... The idea of sort of, I'm reading a book right now called Invisible Influences, okay. and they talk about that idea of like, everybody wants to have a unique shirt, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You didn't want to show up to school on Monday and everyone's wearing the same new cool shirt. You wanted to feel like you had a unique shirt. Right. And they talk about that with music, right? Like, people will say, let's just use Justin Bieber, right? Like, oh, Justin Bieber's old stuff before he became mainstream was good, and then he went pop. That's probably not the best example for us, but maybe for our audience. <laughs> probably not, right? Right? Right. There's bands, and we'd say, like, oh, we found them first. But then when everybody has them, and oh, now their music's not that great, right? Right. Um, so it's interesting, your upbringing, because I would imagine, in a way, you tried to find your own unique, creative way of looking at the world while also fitting in. Right, um, yeah. And, like, how do you stand out while also fitting in? And I think athletes deal with that all the time. Like, they don't want to be seen as the guy who's always going so hard and making all their teammates look bad. Yep. But then they also want to make sure they're taking a leadership role and saying, no, I'm okay with that. You know, I want to go for greatness. Right. Um, and I'm sure in the corporate world, you see people, like, how do they stand out and let them know, like, oh, I'm a rock star. Like, I'm someone who I yep. want, who they want on my team while also fitting in and not making look, look making people look bad. So I'm curious to get your sense. Yeah, so of, I, you know, I, I call that being a leader and a follower, right? Yeah. And I think that's a, uh, a tough skill that, um, so high performers can do a really good job of just being uh, a leader in whatever they do, yeah. right? And I think sometimes they can't adjust and recognize when they need to be a follower in different situations when they're either out of their comfort, when they're out of their domain knowledge, right? And they need to let someone else lead. And sometimes that other person might be a junior to them, might, not, might be a teammate, might be someone that's multiple layers down. And I think that's one of the challenges that people have from leader and follower situation yeah. is, and something I've, I personally struggled with even today, but I think it's, it's something you have to consciously recognize that you're gonna struggle with, because a leader is someone that takes a group of people and takes them beyond what they thought they could do or where they thought they could go, yeah. right? And, but a follower is also one that has to recognize, I have to listen to someone and, you know what, be inspired by them and, be, and let, let them move me. This is, where, this is where I love the connection, because now we're talking about why I created this series, which mm -hmm. is performers are performers, and corporate organizations work very similarly to teams that I work with, sports teams, pro, college, even high school teams, because what you just talked about as a leader is what I would define as a coach. Um, oh, yeah. So a coach, the history of coach is actually really cool. Uh, the word coach comes from Hungary, 
and uh, it, it, it came from Hungary because Hungary is where the carriage or a coach was invented. So they had these carriages that were also named coaches. Um, and a coach's role or a carriage's role is to get someone from where they are to where they want to go. Okay. So that's the history of the word coach is a coach or a carriage, as we would call it, uh, helps someone get from where they are to where they want to go, which is in lockstep with how you define sort of leadership is like helping someone where they are to where they can possibly get to. Mm. So the word coach was then stolen by um, you know, Oxford University and they used it for tutors because mm. tutors would help people get from where they are to where they want to go. Uh, and then the U.S. and America and all these athletic places took that word coach because a coach helps someone get from where they are to where they want to go. That's so cool. I think coach and CEO are really the same thing. And a great coach has to know what they're talking about, but as you said, also understand when their domain of understanding is different and ask for help and understand like, hey, maybe this assistant coach can help me with scouting or maybe this strength coach can help me with strength training or maybe this mental coach can help me with the mindset. Um, and a great CEO, I'm sure, does the same thing when they're thinking about their assistant coaches or their CFO or their COO or however they may look at the world. So that's where the worlds collide and yeah, how yeah. leadership and coaching really go hand in hand. I think often we think of coaches as just having the answer for everything. But I think a great coach will also ask great questions. I think a great CEO will also ask great questions and learn and also understand when, you know what, maybe someone else would be better for that specific role. Um, so that's fascinating to me. I want to go to your world as an athlete. Uh, so you played college football, which is no small task. I want you to just share your experience playing college football and what that was like for you uh, and how that may apply to your your world now uh, in business. Yeah, so I, yeah, I would say, um, I, you know, I, I had an interesting college football career. So I, um, so uh, my first two years, I didn't get an opportunity to play. Uh, so the first year, I, uh, I took an injury on the field, uh, which... Uh, I collapsed my lung mm-hmm. and it punctured my spleen. Was that on a hit? Yeah, on a hit. Um, uh, it talks a little bit about honor and because after I got it, so it collapsed the lung, punctured the spleen, so I was basically bleeding to death. Oh. And so I, I still played three more plays because I, I didn't want the guy across from me to know that uh, I, <laughs> it hurt me so bad, right? So I finally went to the sideline. I finally went to the sidelines after it was all over. And uh, it's the time I was playing offense. I was actually an offensive player. And, and I basically found out, you know, I punctured my spleen. They put me in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Oh. So, um, and I was told that, I was sort of told that, you know, hey, your, your college career's over. Like, hey, this, this isn't, this isn't, and I was like, and when you're like 18 years old, that's really frustrating, right? And so I was like, okay, you know, uh, did my two weeks in the hospital. You know, they monitored me to see if, uh, you know, make sure my, my spleen didn't rupture. And then I went from there, and I actually, um, uh, rebuilt my body, redid it, and actually, I got so big, mm. I got so much larger size that I was I was very oversized for what I was playing, but I was still able to play it very successfully. Um, and I think it was in camp, I was uh, running with the ball. You got oversized strength wise, just strength, like or just for my possession. So I was um, uh, strength wise, so I was like a receiver. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, at the time, you didn't really have 220 receivers, right? right? 225 receivers. So I was a big receiver. Yeah. For, for, and um, so I like I worked hard. I mean, like it was it was. I, mean, I was running X amount of miles per week, lifting, eating right. I mean, the, were you more driven after the injury than before the injury, or the same? Absolutely. No, no. It was. I, I was. I worked really hard before. I think I, I recognized how precious it was when you don't have something. Yeah. 
And so I rebuilt my body, went back at it. Um, Real quick, I'm just gonna interject. I call that the adversity advantage. You face adversity and you have an opportunity right there to say, why me or watch this? And a lot of people will go into the victim way, which is why me? Oh, I had to be in the hospital for two weeks. My football career, they're telling me it's over. Mm-hmm. Like, and then you say, why me? And they become a victim and that's it. And, yeah. and then there's other people in this world that take that adversity and say, all right, now watch what I'm gonna do. Watch this. Like, I'm gonna actually become bigger, faster, stronger, whatever. Absolutely. Uh, and that sounds like the, that's the route that you took. Is you took that adversity and made it an advantage and actually used it to become maybe better at what you did. Absolutely, I, I did. And it, it was an amazing, it was amazing, amazing. Uh, I was having a camp and put my arm out to, to block someone and uh, split my arm in two. Oh. So I broke my arm completely in half, right? Uh, with the helmet. So I, I'm, uh, so now. Too graphic, I, brutal. Not, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting a little like tense yeah. over here just hearing you describe these things. These aren't like, you know, you pull the hamstring or sprain right, right. an ankle. These are I, like, I try to do it hard. Yeah, <laughs> these, it are, hard. these are legit. Yeah. So, you know, obviously for like over like uh, two months, I had my arm completely locked up. Oh. It was it was broken. Um, so that was pretty much my year. I and mean, there's nothing you can do with it. I mean, just the way it was broken, it was, uh, it was good clean right through. So, um, yeah, so I, I basically, they, they redid it. They put it together and, um, you know, and, and that, that's when I think, I, and I've talked to kids about this before, like both in business and in the real world, like that's when you kind of recognize too, like some of the people around you too that support you, right? Like who's, like, who's gonna help support you around you? Because like, I, I think it's, uh, you know, you know we, I go to conferences, things like this, and we rally people up, but it's not those moments. Those aren't the moments like that really matters. It's when there's no one around, yeah. or it's when people are like, like it seems really hard, and uh, that's what I had. I mean, I, all of a sudden I'm, I, I get the cast off, and I'm like, I start working to get myself better. And people are like, well, obviously, fate. This isn't for you. Fate, right. It's not you. It's just man, fate. I mean, who has these two brutal injuries one after another? And uh, and I remember being like, it, it, you know, I, I wish I could. Did you it. love football? Um, no, not really. Because football players, like, more so than any other sport. When I asked them, like, why do you want to, like, I, I worked in Maryland football last year, and, like, I'd ask the guy, like, well, what, what, why do you play? Like, I want to make money, or I want to, uh, you know, make it to the whatever. And I think there are a lot of football players that show up because they like the idea of being a football player. Yeah, so I, I, that probably wasn't me, like, uh, even to this day. Like, I don't really watch so much football on yeah. TV, but I, I do, like, I, um, I, felt like I, I felt like I could contribute to the team. I felt, so it was one, I contributed to the team, I love the camaraderie yeah. of the people around me. And, um, and the last one is too, um, I, I felt like it was something like, I have to go do this if I don't, like I, even at a young age, I mean like 19 years old, like I remember being like, if I don't do this, I will regret this. Huh. Like I will regret this. So I remember like, I would do my, do the whole workout they gave us and, and, my, and it was such a brutal injury that like my arm, my forearm was the size, my bicep was the size of my forearm. Like my, it was like, because it was just locked up, there was no muscle. So I had to rebuild my whole arm. Um, uh, I ran harder than everyone else did. Um, I put in more time. Uh, I remember like even after doing the sprints and things like this, I would go from my house and run all the way to the field, right? And just touch the grass and then run all the way back. But I wouldn't actually go on the practice field because I was like, I didn't deserve it yet. Mm. I, but if I can get my body well enough, I'll, it'll be an exciting day when I get on the practice field. So I did that and um, I think I gained like 30 pounds. I got so big when I came in. I came in around 
235 for Cam. As a receiver, they were like, yeah, we're going to put you in defense. Yeah, right? you're going to so, somebody. Right, you're going to hit somebody, right? So, and, uh, and I was blessed. Like, I, I um, you know, uh, I, I went in, came, you know, learned a new position. Never played defense before. Learned a new position. Um, had a great time at it. Uh, got some great uh, awards and accolades. But, like, I, I would still tell you, like, I, I don't think I was, I don't think, I would never line up against another guy and say, I think I'm better than them. Mm. I, but I would tell you right now, I would wear them down. By the third quarter, I'm constantly going. So by the third quarter, I am better than you because I know I'm running at 90, 95%, and I've worn you down to 70%. But so, like, athletic-wise, they would be better than me. Outwork you. Would that be a theme that you've taken with you to, to the business world, or is that something that you've shifted a little bit? Because that's sort of what you're t- – by the, by the time that game's over, you're going to be exhausted and I'm going to be standing. I would say, what I, you know, when I first start off, like, absolutely, like, when I first start off in the business world, I would just, I, I would just outwork everyone. Yeah. It would just be a constant effort of, like, I'm working, I'm working the time and hours of a team as one individual. Um, as I matured, what I realized was there was a lot of inefficiencies. Yeah. So what I learned was about prioritization, especially, like, I think about, like, like one central thing like football is you just just keep doing it. You just keep doing it and keep doing it harder and more intense, thinking about being smarter, but like it's it's you can just outwork the other individual. Sure. I think in the, the business world, it's a little bit about like when to use your energy and prioritization. So um, and I think that's what made me decent at like restructuring companies was I would go in and it wasn't that I was the smartest person. In the room, there were lots more people that had been there for a while, but they were doing so many different things. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, they're doing like 12 different things. And I'm like, okay, we need to do three to five. Let's do three to five things really, really good. So, and I use that in my own, uh, when I look at my schedule, is okay, what are the three to five things that are going to impact the business, impact where we're going, we're going to move us ahead? And that's what I focus on. Yeah. And the other pieces of that, um, I'm like, look, I either have to task them out. And you have to accept sometimes, you know, you know you're the best at that, or that's the thing you really like to do. That's the other thing, right? Yeah. Um, and you have to give that out to other people and accept that. And when you do that, you're able to do the three to five things that much better. And um, so I think that's the only difference that I found is, but then I, I'll take the same work ethic. So I'll do those three to five things harder than I think anyone else will. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I believe that it's not the... Um, it's the person who's going to focus the most and put the most effort into it is going to get the best outcome, right? And, and um, I haven't met anyone that's been hyper successful like that that doesn't say some version of that. Sure. So until I meet that person, <laughs> I'm going to keep going that with recipe it. Works. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a couple of things that I just want to grab onto. One, I love what you just said about just because you like doing something doesn't mean you're the best at doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we all have a tendency to do things that we like, but... That's, that's important, but that doesn't mean that you're the best for that specific role. Right. Um, and then the other thing that to me is just so fascinating is like one of my favorite concepts is don't confuse busyness with productivity. Yep, absolutely. And I think we live in a society today, a world today, I see it in your world even more than the athletic world where busyness is king yeah. and we don't value productivity as much as we value busyness. Yeah. And so much so that if someone asks how my business is, they would say, are you busy? 
rather than, well, are you being productive? Right, right, right. And I'm like, and I always say, yeah, yeah, I'm busy just because I don't feel like getting into a whole soapbox yeah. conversation about busyness. But I, I think it's one of the biggest challenges that we face as humans is like, busyness doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing a good job. It just means that you're busy. Right. Um, productivity, like like you said, what are the three to five things I can be super productive at? Right. Uh, that to me is, that's where it aligns with athletes and uh, employees, coaches and CEOs is like, forget busyness, let's be productive. And, and in my world, you probably see this in your world too, it's like, like just the other day I, I saw a football college football coach post a picture on Instagram of his bed in the office. And he basically was saying, the season's coming, I sleep in the office. And, you know, that's, that's what I do. I, I, don't, I don't go home. I sleep in the office. And it's like, so you're not going to prioritize anything else in your life other than watching film, football. And I get it, but that's just busyness. That doesn't mean you're productive. I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think it's, um, th- there are certain times where, like, uh, there's a value to it because, like, okay, hey, you know, maybe there's, you know, the day before, something like that. You know, like, you know, like, okay, you know, if I put more time in, this is going to matter. But I also think there's, you know, having space, having time, like, like, I, like I'm writing, so I write, I write articles. There's like a copy on the side. Like I, I write business articles that um, that people like them. They get published. People don't. They don't. Right. But like you know, like last night I had, um, I, had I, I, I was sitting there. You know, had space. Like you know, when I use the word space, is like you know, time to kind of like I think I was watching. Uh, I, you know, I was watching. I was watching comedians at Cards of the Coffee. Jerry Seinfeld, right? I love the show. It's a great, great show, show, right? And. Uh, and I started, and all of a sudden, I just thought of something. It just came out of nowhere. It, I'm not thinking about this, but it just like popped in my head. And like I wrote it down on my notepad. I, I carry uh, a notepad almost everywhere I go, and uh, it kind of like unlocks something I was trying to figure out for this article, right? And but like, if I'm just sitting there working on everything all the time, I don't know if my brain would have that time to like space to like think about something. It's maybe it's more hyper creative. Like it's a very it's a new exploration of an idea, and I think that's. I think that's when I, when I hear things like that. That's where I think the disadvantage is. Um, but on the on the other side of that, right? I do see sometimes in business where there's you know, one of my friends has a unique business where he sells a hyper amount of, of business on Amazon. Right. So Amazon had a Prime Day, right. right? He's left in the office yeah. because that 24-hour period was so critical to his business, right? Now that makes sense. So it's like. It's like when I hear people like that, it's like, it's, it's not a, you know, oh, you should always do this, have these like hard, fast rules. Sure. It's the flexibility of recognizing, like, like you said, prioritizing. In this 24 hour period, we're going to sell more in this one day. We're going to sell like in maybe a week or two. Yeah. So let's, let's do it. Let's all do this. Yeah. Right. Um, Pro, but, the, but, but it's about productivity. That's right. Um, and, and, you know, I always think balance is about action rather than inaction. I think so many people think of balance as being, in action, like sitting on the couch eating Cheetos and watching the Kardashians. Like to me, well, that's not that productive, but maybe taking your kid to the park and pushing them on a swing set, that's productive, that's balanced, but that's an action item, it's not an inaction item. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I, I love the idea, you, you told me off camera before, like you don't drive anymore. You, right. take, you take Ubers everywhere. Mm-hmm. and. You even told me, you're like, yeah, sometimes I'll meditate in the Uber and I'll use that time to just be with myself and 
you said time to meditate. I think people think of meditation as being like, you need to be on an ocean, going like this, in a quiet space, but you're being productive with that time and that's an action item. It's not inaction. So when I think of productivity and I even think of balance, which we're going to get into in a little bit, I think of it as action rather than inaction, which is sort of what you're saying. It's like, look, if it's productive for you to be there for 24 hours, let's do it. Yeah. But let's not just do it to show people on Instagram that you're being busy. Right. Uh, I think that's the disconnect. All right, here's what I want to do next. I want to get your thoughts on what I call preferences. Okay. Uh, and I give these to, we've done a, a, a head coach. Uh, we've done a head college coach, a head high school coach. We've done uh, a golf coach. We've done a broadcaster. So we're trying to get a bunch of different people's perspectives on these preferences. There's not a right or wrong, yeah. but it's really just how do you, Tim, see the world? Okay. And I'm going to pull out my little handy sheet here, and we're just going to go to town. So you're going to have to pick one of these preferences. Okay. And you can only pick one. So right. for better or for worse, you have to go with that. Okay. So do you prefer preparing or performing? Uh, preparing. Why? Because uh, I know it, the output would be performance. Okay. Uh, when you're managing someone... Uh, do you prefer the person that's a yes sir person or a why person? Why person? Tell me about it. Because uh, I might, we might find something that I didn't see, huh. and then in, um, even though why person can be kind of frustrating because they're always asking why, but at the same time we might get to an output that I didn't see or a better output, or even I might be wrong in in that conversation. I either I recognize it or the other person or someone else in the room recognizes it because we're asking it. And um, and I've been in organizations where there's a whole bunch of yes people, and I've watched I've walked out of the room being like, so everyone agrees with that? Like that's crazy. Like that's gonna break. Yeah. You know. So I, I'd rather have a white person. Uh, this is a different preference, but I'm just bringing it up now. I don't usually ask this, but you said output. Do you prefer the process or the output? Oh, uh, the process. Why? Because then it, it it completely the output just becomes the thing at the end. It just. You know what? And if you do the process the right way, you can, you can. If you don't get the output, you can go back and look at the process and go, oh, you know what? Let's modify this piece. Try it again. See if you get an output. Go back, change it, put it back. Modify, modify. If you're just thinking about the output the whole time, it's sort of like the great baseball player that can't tell you how to how he pitches a ball, hmm. right? But the, not the best baseball player can also tell you like can coach someone how to pitch it or. Oh, you know, my, my favorite, like when they ask Michael Jordan, like when he wasn't shooting foul shots right, what did he do, right? He would talk about how he like broke down every step of a foul shot, yeah. like every step of it. And then he'd do it mechanically and then, he'd, and then he'd go back to like just doing it, right? Where I think a lot of people, they, they don't know the process, how they got there. Yeah. And because of that, they just, they just keep throwing output. Sure. And, and it just keeps... It just keeps not working, and they're just like, well, I just had a bad day. I have a phrase that I love to use that I stole from some, uh, actually a tutor. Uh, focus on the process, and you'll get results. Focus on results, and you'll get none. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. There's tremendous value in just locking in on how we do things and, and that what that looks like. Do you prefer a system or autonomy? Um, oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> Look, I've been in huge corporations where I've seen a system just – like sometimes pull the people, and then um, I've also been I've also been where too much autonomy um, can actually uh, not give inputs to uh, like critically change things in the pro through it. So I would say it, so it's interesting. 
in a bigger organization, autonomy, and in a smaller organization, the system. That's so interesting because I think smaller organizations, in my mind, tend to have more autonomy mm -hmm. and bigger organizations tend to have more system. And that's why, that's why I want both of those things injected in there. It's because if the, if the bigger organization has this massive system without the autonomy, you might just, things just don't get done or it just yeah. takes 21 days where it should take two. Yeah. And then in a smaller organization, um, you need a system because the system doesn't hold back the group at that point. Huh. It actually brings everyone together to make sure that everyone's communicating, the same focused mission, and at the same time, uh, we're doing things with purpose. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, do you prefer perfection or progression? Uh, progression. Because I think perfection is this it's a fairy tale in my mind. I mean, I think if, if anyone can say anything's perfect, right? I mean, it's, you know, all of a sudden someone then comes along and beats it right afterwards. So was that really perfect, right? And so I think the progression of always thinking about growing, always thinking about we did this, it was the best we could possibly do. How could we have done this? I mean, the, the classic example of that is uh, the individual who ran the four-minute mile. Yeah. Like, people are like, that's impossible. Roger Bannister. Right. That, like, that's perfection. He did that. And then all of a sudden, all the other people did it also. Yeah. So I think that's progression. So progression. Uh, most valuable player or most improved player? Um, is, is it which, which one I want to be or which one, which one do I idolize more? I would, I would even, my perspective is a little different. Which one would you prefer to have on your team? Oh, both? No. <laughs> um, uh, I would say, well, you have to go to MVP. I, I think you, know, you, you, want, you, want, you want people that are uh, A-class individuals that are, are with you. Um, who do I actually idolize more is most approved. Okay. So it's a different way to look at it. Yeah. Do you prefer resume or eulogy? Um... I, I, I'm a more positive person, so I'd say resume. Okay. How do you interpret that question? It's a final. One's a final thing. And, uh, you know, um, I, I remember I, uh, I, took a, um, uh, I took a course one time, and they had me write, okay, what would someone say at your, your funeral? Yeah. Okay? And it's a great way to spur you to go, oh, I need to, you know what? I need to do more yeah. with my community, with my family, with my business. Like, this is going to drive me, right? Um, but I look at it as like, you know, your CV and resume, that's the progression. That's the progression of what, what it is, right? And when I, when I think of resume, I think of like my life resume, okay. not just my work resume. Yeah. And so, you know, I would hope I'm constantly putting bullets on there. Like the action line, you know, they always say put the action and then the words afterwards. I'm hoping I'm always adding to that. So for me, um, one's a finality and one's, one's, one has more to do with um, growing. It's interesting because I've asked that question to a lot of people and almost everyone thinks of resume more in career aspect. I thought it was interesting that you took it and said, I think of it as a life resume, uh, which I think is a really cool way to look at that question, a, a different way to look yeah. at that question. Um, this generation or your parents' generation? This generation. Why? Um, I go back to the question someone asked me the other day, how old are you? Okay. Or, how, or I'm sorry, the question was, how old do you feel, right? I was like, how old I am? Like, to me, I'm like, I, I hope I'm not like, like, in my 20s, like, I think I was very productive, I was very successful. 
but I don't want to go back then. I'm a, I'm a lot smarter than I was then. Yeah. <laughs> I know so many more things than them. If I went back then, like that would be like falling backwards. Why would you do that? Um, and, and even yesterday, like like as of like you know last night this morning, I'm hoping that I'm I'm constantly like learning things new. And so that question would be my generation because for me, I look at it as a point in time. Like right now is so many dynamic things are happening. So many unique things are happening. And, and I can go read history books and learn everything about my, my parents' generation, which is an amazing generation. But, you know, we're, we're creating history every day. Um, and we have, the, we have the ability to impact our communities uh, every day to create that. You value change. And one of the things we often hear from people is like, like I hear from Parathics, like, oh, I'm not going to change at all when I make it, right? right? Or a musician, like, oh, I made it. I haven't changed at all. I'm still the same. And your history and your background is so, you value change. Um, and I often tell, like I work with a lot of high school kids and I don't know if this is, if I want to share this with the world, but I'll share it with the world. I say to them all the time when they're, I'm like, they're, let's say they're 16 years old. I go, if you're the same today as when you're 30 years old, if you're the same at 30 than you are when you're 16, come find me, ring my doorbell and tell me, Brian, I haven't changed one bit. And I'll just punch you in the face. Like, I will just smack you in the face, and you'll deserve it. Because if you don't change from the time you're 16 to 21 to 25 to 30 to 35 to 40, on and on and on, yeah, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Like, you're doing it wrong. And I just, I really love how much you value change, uh, which I think a lot of people are scared of. They're afraid of it. Well, I, I think it's, you know, I think change is one of the, um, is a tough thing for a lot of people. I mean, um, you know, uh, you know, just just from our just articulation of change, like so, like like I have a I have an executive coach I work with, yeah. right, to make sure I'm sharpening the blade constantly. And one of my challenges I have is articulating change, because I just think change is constant, right? Yeah. And some people change really really scares them, right? But I think it's it's always trying to explain to people like this is the journey we're on. It's okay, like this is the journey we're on. We're on this unique journey to like sometimes we don't know where it is, sometimes we kind of know where it's at, but uh, you know I. Going back to like uh, like like athletics, you know, sometimes I've talked to uh, athletes, and you know, people are like, uh, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to say this is the best days of your life, right? right. I hope not. Right. I hope not. But I hope like I learned a lot. Like for my story, I told you, it was like I learned a lot about like hard work. I learned about perseverance. Like like, did you want to go against me? I, if you didn't know me, like it's my third year. I haven't touched the the football field, right? I have gone through so much adversity, right? Like I know, like. When someone went against me, they, they were going against the best version of myself that yeah. I could give, and I'm going to mentally and physically um, win, or try to win every time. And I think that's the journey that took me to where I am today, is that I get that same experience and that same exposure. So I think that's, that's what we have to think about. It's not about change, but journey. You're talking about the best day, and I just think of uh, a guy named Jordan Burroughs, who uh, the wrestling people that are watching this will, will know of Jordan Burroughs. You know, he went to the Olympics, heavily favored, supposed to win gold. He's sort of one of the, the face of wrestling. Um, and he didn't medal. And I just saw an interview with him yesterday or the day before. He just starts bawling. And he just looks at the guy who's interviewing, who I actually know, who is a local guy who interviewed me at one point. He just turns to him and says, this is the worst day of my life. Mm. And it was real. It was emotional. And it sort of gave you insight into how much these guys train for this moment. And then I thought about what you just said is like, if that's the best day of your life, if a football game's the best day of your life, 
it's probably not going to be a fulfilling life for you. And I, what I would say to him is like, Jordan, this ain't going to be the worst day of your life, man. Someone close to you is going to pass away. Mm-hmm. Some tragedy is going to happen. That's going to be a far worse day than you not meddling. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think it's interesting that, especially athletes, they think so much about that moment and think best and worst. And they don't think about me when they have a kid or they get married or someone dies. or These big life moments are, are much much different. It goes back to sort of resume and eulogy a little bit. Uh, evaluations or descriptions? Uh, evaluations is quantitative. Helps me understand things. Positive feedback or negative feedback? Um, I think, so I, I really appreciate real negative feedback. Mm. So real negative feedback to me. Um, uh, you know, I, I would say, you know, one of the things about negative feedback, it's very dangerous. Like yeah. people are like, ah, oh, negative feedback's the best. Blah, blah, blah. It sticks. It sticks. But like, if it truly can be articulated in a way that helps someone like, like grow, not just like this, like, oh, you're this. And you're like, well, how do I change that? Like, that's, <laughs> like, that's part of my, my characteristics, right? Sure. Uh, but I, I would, and, and I, but I do want to elaborate too on that is like, is you have to be careful too. Like, you have to accept negative feedback, but you can actually reject negative feedback too. I think, for example, is like, I think there's so many things that you're good at, mm. right? And uh, so that's something I like. I actually hyper encourage positive, all right? Because you know, if you go to most people's, um, you know, at the end of the year, they you meet your boss and you get that one moment, which is ridiculous, they only do it once a year kind of thing. But you get that feedback from them. You know, like statistically, like 70% of the time, they're just talking about, like, like they're kind of like, you'll talk more about negative than you'll be about positive. Sure. Okay? Well, you know, if negative is crippling you, like it's truly something like, hey, this here is just something you've got to get over Right, but if not, what if you can outsource it? What if you can like leverage it? Find other, a solution. Find a solution to it. Then that's so. I take negative feedback. And go, okay, well, can I? And is it worth it? I mean, uh, you know, not to get too quantitative, but I think we each of us have our like um, the uh, you can call them like the things you're good at, your superpowers, whatever it is, right? And you know, what, if if one of mine is so much more higher, highly ranked, and if we could just say like. Like kind of scientifically, if I took a class in anything, I become ten percent better. Mm-hmm. Just easily, like you know, whatever class I take, I get I get ten percent better from everything from from uh, making a clay pot, which I probably can't do, to you know, um, more quantitative like accounting, which, which is I'm more skilled at, right? If I get ten percent better, which one's going to impact my life more? Sure. I can tell you right now, learning new uh, or new. Or kind of a new version, or cleaning up when what I'm um, understanding the finance, uh, other than like <laughs> making a pot, like, it's probably going to make a lot more difference in my life. So, sure. I mean, I know it's kind of a, a novelty type of uh, analogy, but uh, I think that's what people get lost sometimes is that you can outsource your negativity, right. some of your the negative things you do well, like, but it has, can't be crippling. But in the positive, like focusing on positive, like focusing on positive, because and know what your positives are. But constantly be conscious of any new negative traits or negative habits you might pick up. And that's where you can really get a lot of advantage. So there's a balance there. And I think people are like strengths or weaknesses, which you strength finder, like there's mm-hmm. there we had a time where strength, 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 positive. But if you don't acknowledge a weakness, if you're just letting it linger, that might be what's holding you back from Absolutely. success. So it's so valuable. 
Uh, culture or talent? Uh, culture. 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 Would you have always said that? What's that? Would you have always said that? No. No. No, I would have. Um, I was always amazed when they put the smart, put the best teams together in, uh, in sports and they didn't work out. Yeah. I was always amazed by that. I was like, well, I don't understand. Like, they're the best teams. I mean, um, uh, the Lakers did that back in the day. Yeah. Remember, like Lakers put Carl this Malone team, Carl like Gary Payton, like they like their bench exactly was exactly like, who I thought of. Yeah, yeah like, they're, they're, like I remember like every player I liked watching pretty much played on this team. Yeah, right. It was like, and they didn't do well. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, you know, I think it's the culture. Um, you know, I think it's um, I can't remember if it's I think it might be Porter might have said it, but it might have been someone else. Uh, but it's uh, basically. Culture eats strategy any day of the week is a, is a comment. And it's so true. Like, if you can have a good culture, you're working hard, you're focused, um, people are behind something, like they're, they're part of something bigger than themselves. Yeah. And that's the difference between talent and cultures. Talent is a bunch of people that, like, they can believe in themselves and they can work hard. But culture is the thing that can drive you beyond yourself. They can, can bring people together, make you more competitive, make you more excited, bring your energy level up when you're tired, uh, you know, Get you, just get you to jump back up and just slowly standing up when you're on the field. So, in that culture, if you move over into the business world, oh, it's so valuable. You, you look at some of the best companies in the world, no one goes, ah, oh, they're a really good company, but they've got no culture. Right. Like, just, you never hear that. And so, like, I think there's a, there's, the correlation is obvious. And it doesn't mean you don't value talent. You can still value talent, but you are saying we, we want that culture to impact the talent rather than the talent impact the culture. Uh, momentum or the moment? Um, momentum, because when you get momentum, you can just uh, you can get so much out of it. I mean, you know, you watch um, uh, you watch businesses that get momentum, uh, you can't stop them. Yeah. And and I think it's uh, sports teams the same way. Um, you know, you know, I respect the moment, but man, if I if I can have a choice, I'll take momentum any day of the week. You said respected. Would you rather be liked or respected? Would be liked or respected? Um, respected. Transformational leadership or transactional leadership? Oh, I've, I've been doing transformational re- uh, leadership for years, so I have to say that. And uh, I think that's the one. I mean, I think it's uh, when you're transforming people, companies, and even yourself, that's, that's when you're growing. I mean, uh, that's when you're actually you're learning new things, and people around you are learning new things, too. That's kind of cool part. Love winning or hate losing? Uh, hate losing. I think uh, w- winning just becomes a habit, right? So uh, if you're lo- if you're losing, uh, you gotta hate that. You gotta hate that. Risk taker or rule follower? Risk taker or rule follower? Um, I'll be a risk taker. I was so surprised that you didn't answer that like right away. Because you are someone, like, getting to know you, like, you've done some risk, risk-taking things in your life, but were you thinking about that more in the business sense? In the business sense, absolutely. Yeah, so, like, in the business sense, I, I would probably be, like, I'm a big fan of, like, hey, let's follow the rules, let's, let's, let's figure out how to do this, right, and then figure out a way to be disruptive within it, mm-hmm. right, okay? Um, uh, and probably in my own life, you know, a lot of risk-taking. Yeah. You know, a lot of, like, I, you know, it's... Um, Probably not the most traditional path. Sometimes. Yeah, give me the quick, just so everybody else knows, the three riskiest things you've done in your life, just real quick. Uh, There's a lot. A lot of them. I say, uh, 
Um, so I, I, I don't own a boat. I hadn't rowed any rowed a boat, and um, me and three other individuals I know from uh, the UK all met in Peru uh, and went to Iquitos, which I think I'm saying wrong, uh, and did 130 miles. It's the Guinness World Record longest raft race. You start off with eight logs of rope and a machete, and we uh, went down the river. So that's pretty risky. Like, like that's why I'm like when you when you when you're like oh risk taker rule follower you're like thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm like I know this story. You've been in the Middle East in in risky situations. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we, we did. I, I used I worked a lot of high threat areas for um, uh, when we were growing the emerging markets area, and so yeah, obviously some really unique places. Give me a third. Give me like a third risky thing that I may not even know about. Uh, third that you might know about. Let me think. Um, Good one. Uh, I mean, I'm gonna let you think, but like you moved to Australia, like that's yeah. that's pretty, you know. That's, yeah, that's I, I, what I, most people do. Yeah, I, I would say that that'd be a great example. That you know, I went to, um, I went to uh, the most senior leader, and I and um, uh, they had wanted me to uh, kind of do something exciting, and I wanted to do something exciting and new in my career, and um, and I made the decision. I was like, look, I I want to, um, I I want to move to. Uh, like Asia, yeah, right. I mean, like, and I was like, and uh, people won't yeah. even move from Virginia to Maryland. That's and true. You're yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's go to Asia. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's go as far as we possibly can from where. Right, right. Where so I'm yeah. Going. So and, and you know, it, it's funny for me. I, I just look at it I'm like, yeah, like it's. I think it's tough after you do risk. I think after. I think when you're going into risk, you're like anxiety, there's sweat, there's like you know. There's, but I think after it's over, you're like, okay, that's normal. Like, real quick, have you bungee jumped? No, no. Jumped out of airplane, skydive. Uh, n- not because I don't want to, it's just a matter of like not having logistics in time. All right, we can make that happen. Yeah. All right, uh, starter on a losing team or towel waiver on a winning team? Uh, I love. I think starting off a losing team and taking it into a winning team is, is amazing. Like that is like, like being on being on a winning team that's that's already winning and you're just like that's cool. But like like starting a losing team and going and going farther is amazing. See, I love how, how you interpret these questions. It's, it's just different because a lot of people hear that question and they think like, all right, I am just stuck as a starter on a losing team and I've, it's like one year, right? Or I'm a towel waiver on a championship team. And the way you think about that question is I'm a starter on a losing team and I'm going to turn it into a winner. Yeah, like you don't think about that one year. You think about the future and how you're going to shift it. And I'm just telling you, it's a different way of approaching mm. that question well, thank you. than how I ask other people. So it's, it's just really interesting stuff. Balance or specific obsession? Um, balance. Balance has become a better... Um, different in the last 10 years than maybe the 10 years before that? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, so the word balance has been modified a lot. I, I, not to change your questions, I use the word integrated. Okay. I use the word integrated. So it's, it's about, you know... Um, for example, but people call this life balancing. I think that's a complete lie, yeah. right? Um, and if you, and uh, a great book here, a chance is Bill George wrote a book called True North, and he talks about oh. this, right? And it's True North, True North. Okay. And uh, he was the ex CEO of Medtronic's, right? Yeah. There is no such thing as balance. Okay, what what it is? It's integration. Like you know, I can't like I know I spent eighty percent of my time at work this week and. 10% of my time on my on health and 10% of my time on my family next week. You know what I need to do? I need to balance it out and I need to put X amount more of my family and more. Like, no, you don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what? You integrate. You know what you do is you find, you, you know, you go back into, okay, you know, hey, I leverage a little bit more with my family this week, right? You know, maybe I can put, maybe I can put 45% uh, to 50% of my time in my family and then this much with work 
and this was with like health and myself, right? So that's the difference between integration because if, if you're constantly chase, chasing balance, yeah. one, you'll never get there. Yeah. Two, you'll constantly have anxiety, right? And three, I don't think you're ever going to be present huh. with what you're doing. So just in that moment. So uh, I, that's the only part I would change is I think the integration of uh, is a better way to executives should think and athletes or anyone than balance because I think you'll never get to balance and you'll, you'll honestly, you'll just, you'll just frustrate yourself and I see more people just kind of throw their hands up there. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is the book you recommended to me, which was Deep Work mm, yeah. and valuing deep work and going, you know, making sure you're blocking out time to go deep into what you want to do and how you want to do it. And I think of that as being like deep family person. Like when you are there, go deep with your family. You know, yep. make, make that time count. Um, and then the other thing I just read an article from Greg Popovich where he talked about having his assistant coaches. Uh, making sure that there were moments where if they didn't have to be, you know, studying film or something, that they went and spent time with their family and, you, you know, went deep with their family at those different moments. So it all sort of comes together. Uh, do you disassociate from pressure or embrace it? Do I disassociate from pressure or embrace it? I probably embrace it. I mean, I, I think it's, um, it, you know, some people say I'm better under pressure. I, mean, I, I don't know if I'm better under pressure, but I'll tell you right now, I, if you accept pressure and you know it's going to happen and, and you've thought about it, yeah. you can work your way through it. It's the people that haven't prepared for pressure or, or a situation that's happening. You know, that's what, you know, I love like the, um, uh, you know, you, you never know if these, some of these Olympic stories are like, true or not, but like, like, I think it was Michael Phelps talks about like, I was like, not this Olympics, but the last Olympics, um, his, his coach would sometimes just break his uh, goggles, mm. right? He'd just break his goggles, right? And so like, the kid starts, he starts swimming, and all of a sudden he's got water in his goggles. Yeah. Well, one of the races he had, his goggle broke, right. right? And it didn't affect him. And I think someone else, I forgot who else, someone else, like not, not he, but another uh, he, was talk, they were talking to him, they interviewed him, and the person was just like, well, my goggle broke, right? Like, well, talk about pressure. Like, you got this like, small amount of period, you got to do something as fast as you can, and you got this thing that you didn't expect to happen. Well, Expecting that pressure in that type of situation made him prepared for it, and I think that's uh, that's why I love the idea. The guy that really embodies that is Nick Saban. If you listen to Nick Saban, mm. he talks about the process and he talks about preparation, and they will prepare for every scenario that you can imagine. So when the goggles break or when a, a running back gets hurt, they're ready for it. That's right. Uh, so I think those go hand in hand. Fear of failure or fearlessness? Uh, fearlessness. I think fear of failure will, uh, uh, it, it, it actually is negative. It, 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 I've watched people have fear of failure, not go get, not, not finish uh, their MBA. Mm-hmm. I've watched people fear of, of failure, uh, unable to make the next decision. You know what? You, you have to consciously know that it's around you and it's there, but you have to be fearless. I mean, if, if not, you'll never, you will only get, as good as you allow yourself to be, instead of beyond where you can even go, and that's and that's where I always uh, coach my team: is be fearless, make a mistake. It's okay; we all do, right? And because of that, uh, we'll find new ways to find solutions for our customers and ourselves. So I want to end with that because you just sort of gave me a nice transition where you said, you know, I want to. 
I want to have us be fearless to go beyond where we can go. And if I could sum up our conversation today, it was all about you saying, be willing to change, be willing to go beyond where you can go, which the, the episodes are called Beyond the Surface. So the idea of going beyond the surface, uh, the playing surface, going beyond the office surface, mm -hmm. and going a little deeper to figure out how can I move the ball forward and how can I keep going further and further. So with that, I want to thank you for coming in and doing Beyond the Surface with me. It was such a different perspective than I think what we often get from some of the coaches and some of the other performers that we're interviewing. Uh, but I like different. I like change. I like a lot of the themes you're talking about. I think hopefully a lot of athletes and coaches will benefit from this and also business people. So thanks for coming in and, and going Beyond the Surface. And thanks again to Tim Gentry for coming in and, and talking a little business with us and helping to understand the correlation between the business world and the sports world. With Tim's background, it, it definitely resonates with me. Hopefully it resonates with you as well and you enjoyed listening to this episode of Beyond the Surface. Thank you as always for listening. I appreciate it and I am very glad to be here and hope you are too. Have a great day.